Well-purposed church. I just want to thank you guys for being so wonderful just to start things off because a few weeks ago, I went down unexpectedly. I had to have an emergency appendectomy. Oh my goodness. Say that five times fast. I've had to practice appendectomy. (laughs) It totally came out of the blue. Wasn't expecting it. I was out to dinner with my hubby and ate some food and then went to a movie and I wasn't feeling so good. And I thought maybe it's just the food, you know? And so didn't sleep well that night. The next day, just did all the things with the kids, soccer game. We had a birthday party. We had a moving away party. And then I pretty much tried to realize something was not right. There was just too much pain. And so Carl was so great. He took me to the emergency room in Pomona, which was pretty cool because we were doing our, um, you know, our immersion experiences per Pastor Eric Vasquez in Pomona. So we just decided to do a bonus Pomona immersion experience. So I went to the ER in Apomoto Valley on Saturday night. Those guys are amazing. And I went in pretty much in the same kind of pain as having a baby. I was like, I feel like I'm having a baby, but I am not having a baby. But I really would like the epidural. They would not give me the epidural. What in the world? Well, after a number of tests, they finally decided that my appendix was no longer living its best life and it needed to come out. Now, I have to say, I was pretty disappointed that I was really hopeful that your appendix weighs at least 30 pounds when they take it out. But alas, that was not to be the case. So I was down for a while. The the whole thing got infected. And so anyway, I just want to say thank you because so many of you prayed. You helped out with meals and sent texts and cards and flowers. You helped with the kids, which was just amazing. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. I really appreciate it. You know, God created the church to be a family and truly you guys are my family. You guys are rock stars. Well, don't worry. The doctor has cleared me to be here to preach, and I'm so excited to do that because today we are talking about another one of Purpose Church's values. Today we are talking about growing people change. Oh, yes, it's a good one. So we've done a couple of the other ones. Do you remember from the last couple of weeks? One of them um, from, last, from two weeks ago is better together. Okay, and how about last week? Found people Fine people. All right. So we've been having fun with interviewing our students to kind of hear their thoughts on these values. And so this week, we're going to hear from our junior hires. We are quizzing people on Purpose Church's five core values. Can you finish the sentence? Growing people. Um. <laughs> Growing people. Grow people. Growing people. Together. Growing people. Growing people. Growing people. Uh, help. <laughs> that was good. That was good. They do help. They do help. Amen, sister. Growing people. Together. Growing people. Uh, transform the world. Growing people. Change. Growing people. Change. Growing people change. Growing people change. She got it. All right. So awesome. 
some of them knew it, and that is true. Growing people change, and that is what we're talking about today. So change happens for us all the time, right? I mean, just think of the things that you've experienced this week. Um, I'm standing before you without an appendix, and ironically enough, they only weigh about five to six ounces. Ah, wish it was the 30 pounds. Hey, Great Britain got a new king. I got a call from a friend who was excited about a new job. My daughter got her braces off. My van wouldn't start this week. I mean, lots of things happen that we have to deal with. Change is inevitable, except from a vending machine, right? Can I get an amen out there for that one? <laughs> well, hey, every time a politician steps into the ring, they promise what? Change, don't they? Change can be a good thing, it can be a bad thing. And we're usually highly motivated when change is gonna be something that helps our lives out, like changing the oil in our car, or changing a light bulb that's burned out, or changing a stinky diaper. Those things all need to happen to make our lives better. But try swapping the spoons and the forks in a drawer, or maybe flipping the toilet paper to spin the opposite direction, or switching around the keys on your keyboard. What? Chaos, anarchy, those changes are nothing that we want or like. Do you know our brains actually prefer routine? Your brain is constantly trying to save energy and put things into routine so that it doesn't have to deal with as much change. It stores as much information as possible so that you don't have to think about things like how to peel a banana or how to get in and out of your car or how to take a shower. Those things become autopilot in our brains. It's amazing how God has made us. Now, God has has also given us our five senses to help us experience the changes around us and know how to interact with them. So let's just think about your five senses. Being able to see things. What are some things you love to see? I'm thinking sunsets, smiles, stars, all those things are amazing. Or things you like to hear, ocean waves, rainstorms, children giggling, or things you love to taste, chocolate, coffee, strawberries, things you love to smell. What are things you love to smell? Coffee brewing, bacon frying, the air after a rainstorm, the beach, or things that we feel cozy slippers or sand in your toes or a good workout or a shower after a good workout. Those are our senses and we use these to explore the world around us and to experience changes. Some of them we love these changes and some we resist. Some we don't know what to do with. Sometimes change comes far too slowly for us. Like if you're trying to lose weight or you're paying off debt or trying to save money, Oh, that change is so slow. And other changes come way too fast. Kids growing up or seeing them graduate or old age or accidents or health issues. These come on way too fast and we don't like that kind of change. The human experience is all about change. And in this fast-paced world of changes, we have an opportunity to hold fast to an anchor that is our steadfast and that is our God. God tells us a couple places in scripture that he doesn't change. Malachi 3.6 says, I the Lord do not change. And then again, in Hebrews 13, 8, we have Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
Now, these are good news because this means that God's character never changes, that God is rooted in complete pureness, in perfection. Nothing he can do will make him fail or become less perfect. He's always been and will always be this perfect, pure presence that we can forever depend on. So God's quality of never changing is called immutability. This is the word we use to talk about how God does not change. So this means his character, things like his love and his mercy, his kindness, his justice, his wisdom, they exist in perfection and they do not change. But the methods The ways that he interacts with humanity, oh, those are creative. And those keep changing. Angels, prophets, a burning bush, donkeys, a still small voice, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the church. All of these are ways that change how God communicates with us, but his character never changes. See, God never changes, but people Oh, people change, don't they? People do. Our bodies, our brains, our ideas, our values, all of these things change. In fact, God built into us the ability to change. Part of being created in the image of God is being able to think and reason and to come to conclusions that are different from everybody else. It is such an incredible, beautiful thing to see the diversity of thought. But it can also be a very messy process, isn't it? You know, Adam and Eve were perfectly created when God began the world. But when sin entered the picture, it changed everything. It changed them and it changes us. We are now imperfect people that live in a very imperfect world, a very unforgiving world often. This is why Anne Lamont calls earth forgiveness school. Oh, isn't that so good? I love that so much. Earth is forgiveness school. It's the place where we have to learn the process of how to forgive each other because we are constantly bombarded with people and things and situations that require us to change our attitude from anger and hurt and jealousy and rage and frustration to the things of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, forgiveness. And this, my friends, this is why we need Jesus, isn't it? We need Jesus to help us change so that we can show up as better people and that we can show up as a better version of ourselves for the people that matter most in our lives. We need Jesus to help us turn our brokenness that festers and expresses itself in painful and harmful ways. Jesus is the one that brings that kind of change into our lives. Do you know the central message of the gospel is that Jesus brings amazing, incomparable, glorious, powerful, unbelievable change. He changes our lives when we need it most. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you've decided to surrender your life to Christ, the new creation has come. There is new. The old has gone and the new is here. Isn't that the best news ever? Out with the old, in with the new. The old has been gone. 
Past tense, forgotten, it's out of here. But the new is here, shiny brand new, better than a shiny new package from Amazon showing up on your doorstep, better than the latest fashion or the new team lineup, better than the newest Netflix sensation or the hottest restaurant in town, the new you because of Jesus. See, Jesus brings change to our entire way of life. And Jesus does this very differently than what the world tells us change should look like. The world gives us a lot of opportunities to change how we look or what we do or what we have. These are lots of things on the outside. But Jesus actually helps us change on the inside. Let's look at Galatians 2.20. This says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I get to identify myself with Christ. And then Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27 says, and I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. He takes out the old and replaces it with something new, something so much better, a fresh start, a new chance. And that is the beauty of having Jesus. This is why we need Jesus. See, Jesus changes lives so that we can join him in changing the world world. When we have that, when we have Jesus to live for and Jesus living in us, we have that opportunity. He changes us in big ways so that we can change the world in big ways. And this matters. This matters because the world is constantly to change in all the wrong ways for all the wrong reasons. In a world that pushes us to change based on wealth or on status or on followers or on looks or on popularity, Jesus gives us a strategy for how we can grow as people, as how we can grow richly and deeply spiritually, how we can live in this world but not be of this world. Jesus has the secret sauce for how to be a Christ follower and keep changing and growing in a way that honors him. Okay, so I want you to check out this verse. This is gold right here, okay? Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Okay, so we're going to break down this verse because this is a really important one for us to think about because it talks about this idea of do not conform to the pattern of this world. Think about the idea of a pattern. The world shows us a lot of patterns or ways that we should conform to them. When my kids study patterns in school, they're looking for sequencing or consistency. So in the world of art, you can create a pattern that's pleasing to the eye. In coding, it's a, it's a pattern that speeds up a sequence. A weather a pattern occurs when you get the same thing every day. So 
like for us in SoCal, it's kind of hot, hot, hotter. It tends to be what it is out here for us. A pattern is something that is repeated, something you use again and again. Polka dots are a pattern that make us all dizzy. So the Bible says right here, don't conform to the pattern. Don't be a polka dot. Don't conform to the patterns around you. Because this is a strong pull that the world has to blend in with everything that is around us, to have what others have, to do what others do, to say what others say. High schoolers out there watching, do you feel this pull in school? It's not just kids in school. It is us as grown-ups too, adults. Do you feel this pull at work or in your neighborhood to have what everybody else has? We all feel it. It's a strong pull. And God knows this. God knows that this is a strong pull on our lives. He knows it and he wants to give people who love him and want to trust him with their lives a different way to interact with life. So he gives us this strategy. You know, any dead fish can float downstream, but it takes a live fish to swim upstream, right? We want to be the live fish that we're going against the flow. Okay, so let's go back to our verse. This is what God has given us to be the strategy. Don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. Okay, so let's think about the idea of transforming rather than conforming. Transforming is a dramatic change. It is a break in the unexpected pattern. It changes the sequence. We see powerful examples of transformation all around us. God has modeled this in nature. I mean... This idea of transformation is so incredible, sometimes it's hard to even believe. Like if someone showed me this picture of a caterpillar and said, this is a butterfly, I would not believe them. If someone showed me this picture of a tadpole and said, oh, these are frogs, I would not believe them. If someone showed me a picture of this frozen lake and said, oh, you can water ski on that, I would not believe them. And if someone showed me this picture of this beautiful mountain and said, oh, this is actually a volcano that oozes with hot lava and spits fire. I would not believe them. I mean, these are transformational things that happen in nature. God has given us incredible examples. Now, perhaps one of the most I don't know, uh, personal examples that you see of transformation and change is in your families when you watch kids grow from childhood to adulthood. Now, I have some pictures of our family pictures. We try and do a, a family picture once a year in Michigan. And does anyone else out there do an annual family photo? I mean, these family photos are also known as torture, right? I mean, when you plan coordinated, not matching outfits, and you won't let the children wear them until you get to the destination that you have like scoped out for three weeks in advance. And then you go and as you're getting there, you realize someone has forgotten their shoes. And then you figure out how many bribes it's going to take to get those smiles on their face that actually look more like they've frozen in cement and plaster rather than actually real smiles. 
miles, but you've got to take them before someone melts down. I mean, this is the process of a family photo experience, right? But hey, family photos build perseverance. They also chronicle change. They help us see the places of change, especially in our families and with our kids. Like, how is my baby girl already in high school? How did that happen? Okay, well, let's go back to our scripture one more time. And it says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by... Okay, so this is the place I want us to focus on, the renewing of your mind. This verse points us to the renewing of our minds. It's refocusing our thoughts. It's talking about mindset. Now, mindset is something that is so powerful, isn't it? I mean, the world knows this too. There's a huge emphasis right now on helping people with their mental health. And this is good. This is needed. This is helpful. This is important. But honestly, there's lots of different ways that we can go about doing this, aren't there? See, one of the ways that I've been really interested in watching is the mindfulness movement that is really being rolled out in a lot of schools and a lot of businesses. So mindfulness are exercises that take a group of kids or a group of employees through these mindful exercises. And the goal is really to alleviate stress. And many of these exercises, and they're very varied, help you focus on your breathing and help you focus on your five senses so that you can eliminate the distractions around you and and focus more clearly. So this is putting a, a strong focus on your own body, on your own breath, on yourself. It's a very internal focus. Now, meditation is another popular solution that the world offers us for renewing our minds. Now, there's lots of different kinds of meditation out there, and we get a lot of meditation from Eastern religions. Buddhism, Hinduism are some of the primary ones. And a lot of these meditation exercises teach you to empty yourself, and they use breathing techniques, and they try and get you to empty yourself of any stress, any anxiety, anything that is um, kind of filling your thoughts. So it's very interesting to me the difference between Eastern meditation and Christian meditation. There actually is Christian meditation, and it's talked about in Scripture as well. The difference of Christian meditation is that you're filling yourself with the things of God rather than just emptying yourself. You're not just focusing on your inner being, but you begin to focus yourself on God and realign yourself with him rather than just yourself. So there's some big differences in some of these practices that the world has for us. You know, Joshua 1.8 says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate. There's that word, Christian meditation. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And then you will be prosperous and successful. You see, God gives us something different than anything else out in the world and says, this is what's going to help you change. This is what's going to renew your mind to handle all the changes that the world throws at you that you're even experiencing right now. John Maxwell said this about change. Change, it's inevitable, but growth, it's optional. 
Isn't that true? Like we have to choose whether we're going to grow through the experience or just navigate the, the change and hold on and see what happens. Now, Martin Luther King Jr. said, change does not roll in on the wheels of inevitability, but it comes through the continuous struggle. That's true, and that's what so much of life is. It's one thing after another, and we have to learn how to adapt and grow through those things. God wants to help us with the struggle. He, not, he wants to not just be in it with us, but he wants to help us through it. So here is the question. How does the Christ follower grow and change differently than those in the world? What difference does it make to follow Jesus? Are there really solutions that Jesus has for us that are better and different from what the world offers us? Well, God is going to extend some unique power and perspective in words given just to us to help renew our thinking as often as we need it. And some days that's like, whew, I need it again. I need it every five minutes. And that's why it is something that is accessible and available to us. God's words have been given to us in a unique way to reframe our perspective, to help us with our mindset, to view things from God's way rather than just going rogue on our own and leaning into the world's perspective. You see, that's why these words, God's words that are written in scripture are called living words. You see, living words are powerful because they allow us the opportunity to engage with God. It's not something that is static. God's living words are different from words that we read from Shakespeare or from Socrates or for John Grisham or Dr. Seuss, as brilliant as they all are. I want you to check this out. Hebrews 4.12. It says, for the word of God is living. Do you see that word? These words, this book is different from other books. They are living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What words can do this? It's like a sword that is living and active. They never die. Something that's living always is there, available to us. Now, when we pair these living words, I want you to hold on to this. This is one thing that God has given us. These living words with the second gift that God has for us. And this is the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has the power to make us more like Jesus. So God has given us these living words to help us navigate our mindset and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's just look at some of the cool things that the power of the Holy Spirit can do for us. There's so many. The Holy Spirit prays for us. The Holy Spirit renews our minds, convicts us of wrongdoing, fills us with the goodness of God, replaces the ways of the world with the ways of Jesus, guides us in the truth, teaches us the things of God, brings freedom, gives you hope. Oh, yes, please, more of that. That is what the Holy Spirit can, will, wants to do in your life. You see, growth and change only happen when we don't simply read scripture, but we engage with it. So I want to talk about this idea of engaging with scripture. 
engaging. It means to interact, right? Do you remember when you were in school, you got a participation grade? You have to participate. That's part of what is expected. So Ephesians 6.17 tells us, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is another place that's calling the Word of God a sword. That is something that is powerful. You've got a sword to slash through the pressures of life, the anxieties and stress that you face every day. You have this dynamic living weapon available to you. And the world is going to consistently tell you that God is irrelevant and God is boring. And so you have to make a choice. You have to choose whether you're going to listen to the world and say, oh, these words, they're pretty ancient and they're pretty out of date and they don't really impact my life anymore. Or whether you're going to hold on to them as your sword, your living sword to cut through the stress and anxiety that all of the changes around you tend to pile into our lives. So I want to give you an engagement st strategy. I'm going to walk you through it in our last few minutes of, of how you can do this, maybe in a way that you've never done before. Now, I know some of you are on awesome reading plans. Great. You stick with that. That is fabulous. But if you're not sure where your Bible even is, or <laughs> maybe you tried a reading plan and got lost in the wilderness of Exodus, Leviticus, somewhere in there, maybe if you feel like, I read these words and I just do not understand them, this strategy is for you. This strategy is something that's going to I think maybe help these words pop to life a little bit. Okay, so here's what the engagement strategy is. It's, um, it's kind of a six-step process. Read, write, pause, circle, list, pray. Okay, so that's a lot of words, I know. And it doesn't really make sense. I need a way better acronym. I haven't been able to come up with one yet. I'm still working it. So if you got one, let me know. So here's what I want to show you what we're going to do. I picked a verse, Psalm 119, 143. And this verse says, Trouble and distress have come upon me, but your commands give me delight. So what I'm going to do is show you how I am going to do this strategy with this verse. So the first thing I'm going to do is read the verse. Okay, so if you decide that you are going to use these words to help your mindset every day be more the person that God wants you to be, we've got to be it with some verses. So I have the, this philosophy sometimes if you're overwhelmed by the Bible, sometimes doing more with less is better. And this is what the strategy allows you to do. We're going to do more with less words, one verse at a time, rather than a whole chapter or a whole book. We're just going to go simplified. And this can be amazing to see how God wants to speak to you through just one verse. Okay, so I'm going to read my verse. Trouble and distress have come upon me, but your commands give me delight. Now, I'm actually going to encourage you to read the verse um, and to do it out loud because we're so used to just reading it. We just kind of blow past it. And we're so used to like so many things on our minds that we get lost and we get distracted. So it's easy to blow past this verse and be like, okay, I'm done. But it hasn't impacted you and you haven't engaged with it or with God. So read your verse out loud that you're working with. Trouble and distress have come upon me, but your commands give me delight. Okay, the next thing that we're going to do is write out the verse. So you're going to need a journal, a notebook, something. And we're actually going to write it out. 
And we do this because it causes our brains to slow down. It causes us to start to focus. It starts to shut out all the noise and we're concentrating in a different way. We're engaging a different way of learning and interacting with the verse. So we're gonna write out the verse that we just read out loud. We're gonna write it down. Trouble and distress have come upon me, but your commands give me delight. Okay, now that I've written out the verse, the next thing is I'm going to read it again, but I'm going to pause and I'm going to say each word slowly. So it causes my brain to really think about what these words are. Trouble and distress. They've come upon me. But your commands give me delight. Okay, when we pause on these words, it's another way to slow our brains down and start to engage at a deeper level with what God wants to say to you. Okay, now after we've paused, now we're going to circle words that stand out to us. So if I was looking at this verse and I was interacting with it, I would say, okay, well, here's the words that stand out to me. It might be different for you, but I would circle trouble. Well, that stands out to me. I really like the word but because it's a transitional word. So I'd circle that. And then I love this word delight. Oh yeah, give me more of that. Delight. So those are the words I'm going to circle. Again, causing my brain to kind of dial in and engage. We're kind of like peeling the layers of the onion to get more and more in tune with what God has for me in this verse. How it actually applies to my life. Okay. Here's the next part. We're going to list out our life events that are happening that connect to this verse. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of segment out sections and then put what's going on in my life. So I'm going to write in my notebook, trouble and distress have come upon me. All right, can anyone say amen? I've got some trouble and distress in my life. What's been happening in your life recently? What would you write down as your trouble and distress? I would write down, man, I've got some physical pain that's slowing me down from my surgery and it's stressing me out because I can't do everything I want to do. I'm still losing, I'm dealing with grief of losing my dad. I feel like someone's missing in my life and that's hard. I miss talking to him. It's hard knowing how to help take care of my mom in the midst of that loss. Um, my van wouldn't start this week. So that's kind of trouble and distress upon me. Um, parenting decisions that I need to be making with my husband about with our kids. Some of my food choices haven't been so good. So I'm feeling stressed about needing more self-control in that area. Okay, so I've listed out what has been trouble and distressing to me. And then I list but. Well, what does that word mean to you? Well, I would say, and I'm going to write this down. I'm writing all this out as I'm thinking it. But. I love this word. It's a transition word. It means that things are changing, and I like that. Then I would come to your commands, and I would think, what does your commands mean to me? Well, I would say your commands, well, these are God's commands. These are God's commands to me. These are words that I find in the Bible. These are God's thoughts and ideas and strategies for my life. These are powerful. These are what make a difference in my life, especially when I'm feeling troubled and distressed. These words make a difference. You know, one of the verses that comes to mind when I think of your commands, God, is just a verse that I know, Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds with Christ. So God kind of brought that verse to mind. So I, I wrote that down in there. And then I work at the, look at the word give. 
Well, give is a good word. It's something being extended to me. It's something being offered. It's something there for me. It's there for the taking. Give, that's a good word. Me, well, I put my name in there, Lisa Huber Tony. That's my name. Delight. Oh, man. That's a good one. Joy, happiness, goodness, freedom, peace. I like that. Okay, so I've listed my life events to kind of engage deeper in this verse. And the next thing I'm going to do, the last thing, is pray my life events in this verse. So I've listed them out, and now I'm going to actually engage with God in prayer, inviting the Holy Spirit to be at work in my life. So I would just go through these sections again and pray through them. Jesus, I ask that you would turn all my troubles and my distress that are stressing me out right now and giving me anxiety, the stress of my physical healing, and the impatience in the process, the loss of my dad and helping my mom, our van isn't starting, and the decisions to do about my child's actions, my eating habits, and the weight that I want to lose. These are all trouble and distress upon me. And I feel the weight of these things, and they can be overwhelming to me, and they can make me feel like I can't breathe or think clearly. So I prayed through that section. Now I'm going to pray through the but section. But. I love that word, Jesus, but this is not the end. You are still writing my story. You are not done. My stress and anxiety will not win the day. You win, Jesus. You have the victory, and you have me, and I have you. I'm going to pray your commands. You've given me instructions. You've given me what I need. You've given me strategies. You are leading me. You are guiding me. You have answers to my questions. Help me to listen. Help me to trust. Speak to me today, Lord. Guide my every step. Bring to my mind and my heart your words of truth and life when I need them most. Let your words be the loudest and the most impactful in my decision-making today. And then the last section, give me delight going to pray that section. Oh yeah, hallelujah, I am leaning in. When I read your instructions, when I apply your truths, you are going to replace my stress with what? With delight, joy, happiness, peace. I'm trading in and I am trading up. I'm giving you these unknowns and I'm asking that you will guide me in each of these matters today. The loss of my dad makes me feel sad and depressed, but you promise that mourning lasts for a little while and joy comes in the morning. Our van having trouble is stressful, but you tell me to store up my treasures in heaven first and that you will make a way. My child's decisions can be hard to know how to parent, but that child is yours first. You love that child. You created that child. You entrusted me with that child. Help me to love first and speak words of identity in you over them. Keep me connected rather than stepping away. My eating habits have been selfish and not measured. Help me to plan, write down my food today, give me self-control, more of you and fewer calories. Ha, ha, ha. Trade my stress for peace today, Jesus. Be my prince of peace. Show me the next step without stress. I love you and I trust you. Amen. Okay, so I just walked you through how I would do that with just one verse and how you engage with scripture. This is way deeper, you guys. This is way more personal. This is way more engaging. This is way more of a satisfying way to grow in your spiritual walk with the Lord and to feel like you've had an encounter with the, with the living God Almighty. And you can do this with any verse. I wrote a little book called The Scripture Challenge, and it has 52 verses. So if you don't know where to start and you want to pick up something that gives you 52 verses that you can take one at a time, you can pick that up at Amazon or you can stop by the church and pick one up and that might be a good starting place for you. 
All right. Well, I want to close with the story of John Stephen Ekwari. He was a runner in Tanzania, from Tanzania, and he competed in 1968 in the Olympics in Mexico City. Now, he was one of 74 participants who were selected to run the 26.2-mile race. They all took off at 3 p.m. in the hottest part of the day. And a few hours later, everyone had either dropped out or crossed the finish line, except John. Now, early in the race, his calf muscles really began to cramp up. And, you know, he just wasn't used to the, the elevation change. Mexico City stands at an elevation of 7,350 feet, and Tanzania stands at an elevation of 660 feet. A huge difference. So John had not trained in that altitude, and it really affected his body. And halfway through the race, those cramps started, and there was some jockeying between the, the runners for position. And John got knocked down, and he fell hard down on the ground. And he dislocated his knee, and he, he injured his shoulder pretty badly. Now, he got kind of um, bandaged up on the sidelines, and then he got back in the race and kept going. So for almost an hour, John hobbled. He would hobble and he'd fall down. He'd get back up. He'd hobble some more. And sometimes he even dragged himself in the race. And when he finally um, was, you know, at a place where he was in so much pain, officials even said, you can stop, John. You can stop. You can get out of the race. And he refused. He kept getting back in. So he finally limped, shuffled into the stadium. Almost everybody had gone home. There's only a few spectators less. And when he crossed the finish line, the few who were there cheered him on and he collapsed into the arms of medics. And when he was asked why he didn't drop out of the race, he said this, my country did not send me to Mexico City to start the race. They sent me to 5,000 miles to finish the race. And his story went down in Olympic history as the greatest last place finish ever. So do you think if John had crossed the finish line with um, first place and gotten that gold medal, that he would ever have known what he was capable of doing? I mean, amidst physical pain and emotional pressure, incredible adversity, he kept going. Everything was working against him, and he was determined to finish the race that he had started. You see, people, we are going to endure discouragement and failure and suffering and heartache and setback and confusion and doubt and fear in life more than once, in more than one category, and in more than one season in life. But we also are the same folks with the help of our Jesus who can experience perseverance and joy and triumph and rebirth. You see, more than once, in more than one category and more than one season, Jesus wants to be there for you. Growing people don't stop. They keep going. They keep growing. Growing people change.